You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will hold everyone guilty who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Ten Commandments. So here's the big question. Which one is the most important? Which one's the most important of all those commandments? I mean, for one, from one perspective, it's got to be thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? That's kind of a big one. I mean, for one perspective, it's kind of like God first, that has to be the thing that is the most important. I mean, what could be more important than that from one perspective if you look at it that way? But from another perspective, I mean, surely it's thou shalt not murder, right? I mean, you can steal, you can cheat, you can lie, but just don't kill anyone. Which one is the most important? Which command is the one that we should put before all the others? That is precisely the question that a highly educated religious leader asked Jesus and Frankly, isn't it the question that we're still asking Jesus? I mean, come on, come on, God. What is the one thing that we're supposed to do? Come on, Jesus. Come, tell us what is the greatest thing. What is the, what is the one thing that we should focus on? Is it social justice? Or is it personal holiness? Is it worshiping God with a Pentecostal spirit? Or is it biblical knowledge? Is it submissive obedience to God? Is it financial generosity? Is it having a servant heart and always be the first to volunteer? Is it being Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian? Is it being charismatic or is it being liturgical? Or is it being contemporary? Is it red? Or is it blue? And boy, those push us toward one, try to make us choose, don't they? What's most important, Jesus? Is it the sanctity of the unborn? Or is it racial equality? Is it the dignity of the poor and the immigrants? Or is it New Testament sexual ethics? Come on, Jesus, give us, tell us one. Boy, we like to pick one, don't we? I mean, that's kind of what we do. We want God to tell us which is the most important so we can figure out all the other people who don't think that is the most important and separate ourselves from them, right? I mean, kind of the root of all the divisions that we're experiencing in the world is because we have decided which is the most important and have decided to divide ourselves from all the people who think there is another one which is the most important. See, that's what we want to do. We want to, 
We want to separate ourselves, divide ourselves, because we think ours, our one thing is the most important thing, the greatest of those. Well, in this series, Follower, we're looking at some marks of a follower of Jesus or marks of a disciple of Jesus. And what we're talking about today, I believe, is the answer or the antidote to all of the divisions that we all say we hate but all seem to perpetuate. Come on. We all say we hate, but we all seem to perpetuate these divisions. We all seem to get in our corners and pick our one thing. Well, believe it or not, we're not the first culture, we're not the first society, we're not the first era that has had divisions. In Jesus' day, there were divisions. And it wasn't just, we talk a lot of times, if you've been in church ever before, you'll hear about the division between Jews, who were the people of God, Jesus was a Jew, and Gentiles, non-Jewish people. It wasn't, that wasn't the only division, and it wasn't just a division between the Roman government and the nation of Israel. There were actually divisions within the Jewish faith, divisions in the same religion. We Christians wouldn't know anything about that because we're so united right now. There were two prominent groups of religious leaders and scholars in Jesus' day called the Sadducees and the Pharisees, two, uh, two rival parties within the Jewish faith that often butted heads against one another. The Sadducees were all about the law. In fact, they kind of stopped their belief at what we, what we, when you hear in the scripture someone say the law, typically what it means is something that the Jews would call the Torah or the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When someone says the law, that's what they mean, the first five books, or that's called the Torah, or some people call it the Pentateuch, five, penta meaning five. First five books of the Bible, they stopped at that. They, they had no use for the oral tradition uh, that grew up among the Jewish rabbis that interpreted the law over the centuries. No, no, no. They just wanted the book. They were people of the book. They just wanted those five. And they really didn't care too much for the prophets because the prophets were so mystical and they talked as if they had heard from God. And the Sadducees did not believe in the supernatural, they didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in angels or demons. They were all about strict adherence to the law. They saw the world very horizontal. They saw the world very horizontal. That their, that their faithfulness to God in their world meant obedience to the law in their everyday lives and how they interacted with people. Because if you read the laws, I mean, most of them are about how to stay clean and how to deal with people and different groups of people and different kinds of people. So that's how the Sadducees saw the world. They saw the world through a very horizontal lens. This whole mystical afterlife, I mean, they weren't even on their radar. They didn't believe in it. For them, it was about how do you treat people. Now, the Pharisees, 
They were a different kind of group. Now, they believed in the law for sure, but they also loved the oral tradition of all the rabbis over the centuries who had helped interpret the law, who were breathing new spirit into the law. They believed in being in tune with the Holy Spirit. They leaned into the prophets and all the prophetical teaching. They, They believed in this relationship with God. In fact, they saw their relationship with God as very vertical. They saw that the, in their minds, in their minds, it, it, their relationship with God had little to do with what happened day to day, and it was all about this relationship with God. The Pharisees were seen all the time in the temple courts praying. Their faith centered on this personal holiness, this personal reverence from God, this relationship with God. They were all vertical. They disagreed. They very much believed in the afterlife. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in angels. They believed in heaven and hell. The whole bit, they were very mystical in their understanding, very vertical. So these guys, these rival parties within the Jewish faith, saw the world very differently, but they agreed on one thing. They all wanted to trick Jesus. And Matthew, the gospel writer of Matthew, who was a disciple of Jesus, tells a story about how one time the Sadducees and the Pharisees were gathered together around Jesus trying to ask him trick questions to get him to say something that would kind of, you know, get him in trouble with all this crowd that was following him. Matthew writes that the Sadducees asked him a question about the resurrection. See if they can stump him. Well, he answers it masterfully, just masterfully. And then he asked them a question. Jesus always did that. Do you ever have anybody that when you ask a question, they always answer with a question? Jesus was doing that all the time. And he said, um, and I'm gonna ask you guys a question. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You say that you worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, yeah, and boy, They're straight out of the law. Sadducees, they love it. They're the first book, Genesis. And then he, this is a question he asked him. Isn't God, God of the living and not God of the dead? And they're like, "Uh, well, I mean, what had happened, Jesus, was so Abraham died. Boy, he's got him. He's got him. And his point is, you see, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob might be dead here on earth, but they live on somewhere else because God is God of the living. And you have missed out on this world, this other world, this supernatural world, because you have been so focused on this horizontal life and you have missed out on this vertical life with God and something beyond what you can imagine in this horizontal world. And you... You can just sort of, you can sense it as you're reading Matthew here. You can sense that the Pharisees are on the other side of the room just cackling, right? I mean, because they're like, yes, finally, this Jesus is telling them about about what we believe about the resurrection. Like, they think, like, we have got him. And this is, they see this, the Pharisees see this as their opportunity to do a double whammy, to just pounce on the Sadducees, stomp them out, and trick Jesus all at the same time. 
is found in Matthew 22, right after this encounter with the Sadducees. Jesus, Matthew tells a story about Jesus and the Pharisees. Matthew 22, verse 34. This is what it says. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, like this is their opportunity, the Pharisees got together. They're like, okay, 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 okay. Hey, hey, what are we going to ask him? Oh, that's a good one. I don't know. I can come up with something. Oh, that's a real good one. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's, who's going to do it? And they pick a spokesperson, a lawyer. <clears throat> they pick a spokesperson, a lawyer. Listen to what the next verse says. One of them, an expert in the law. In fact, the old King James Version says a lawyer. An expert in the law tested him with this question. He is an expert in the law. He knows the law backwards and forward. And so this is so interesting, right? Because they're going to play the Sadducees game, the law. And they pick one of their own who was an expert in what the Sadducees say they're an expert in. And that doesn't mean he just knows the Ten Commandments. This means that he has probably memorized all 613 Levitical laws. You read through Leviticus sometime, it's tough. 613 Leviticus. This guy has probably memorized them all. And he asks Jesus the question that we all want to ask Jesus, that we are still asking Jesus, that culture is fighting over, thinking they know what Jesus would say. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which one is the most important? Jesus, tell us which one is the absolute greatest commandment. In other words, what behavior is most important? If we just pick one. What is the one thing that we can all cling to so that we can all determine the people who don't do that one thing well so that we can separate ourselves from all those people who don't do the one thing well or don't even believe in the one thing? We want to know what the one thing is, God, so we can be on the right side of the one thing. They already knew that Jesus agreed with their take on the resurrection, right? He just said it. They already knew that. And so in their minds... They're thinking, I mean, come on, what's he going to say? He's going to say the first one, right? You should have no other gods before me. Surely that's the, what he's going to answer. But Jesus gives them a trick answer to their trick question. And he goes in a direction that neither side ever saw coming. This is what Jesus answers, verse 37 and 38. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This, you wanted to know what's the greatest? This is the first and, what does it say? Greatest commandment. This is it. And they're like, wow, well, I mean, I kind of thought he'd go with number one, but guess what? The Pharisees are like, he still picked vertical, right? <laughs> they're like, come on, 
He still picked vertical. Love the Lord your God. See there, Sadducees? We've been telling you the whole time that this relationship, the most important thing is this vertical relationship with God, this looking up. I'm to love God with all that I am. With all, I mean, it, this verse reminds me of the ring ceremony when I marry couples. When I, when I marry couples, I do this. This is my ring vow. I say, I give you this ring as a sign of my vow, and with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you. That's what it reminds me of. Like, you are to, we are to love God with all that we have, with all of our intellect, all of our emotion, uh, all of our strength, and, and what the Pharisees love is the soul. See there, guys? It's about soul. We're supposed to have this kind of love. And you can just sense that the Pharisees are gloating at this point can't you? Just like, I knew it. It's about soul. It's about a relationship with God. We've been telling you the whole time, Sadducees, that you had this wrong. And then Jesus says, and the second is like it. Whoa, whoa, Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We were just asked for one. We just asked for one. Yeah. Yeah, I know you guys asked for one. But the second one is like it. What do you mean it's like it? It's second. We just asked like, what is the greatest commandment, and you said the first. He's like, well, yeah, that's the first one, but the second one is like it. What do you mean it's like it? Well, I mean, it's the greatest too. It's just like it, but it's second. Well, it's second because I had to say one first because you can't say two things at one time. That make no sense. Nobody would understand what I was saying. I mean, I could because I'm Jesus, but you wouldn't get it. So, so there are two great commandments. That's right. There's two because the second one is just like the first one. The first one's just first and greatest. This is second and greatest, but they're both the greatest. They're exactly the same. Okay. And they're whispering to one another. It's, it's probably about our relationship with God as well. And Jesus is like, yeah, sort of. And Jesus says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment is to love God, and the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor. They are both the greatest commandment. The second is just like it. The first commandment, love the Lord your God. The second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, this radical love for God will naturally outflow into radical love for neighbor. Yes, Jesus says, yes, yes. Of course, this vertical relationship is important. Of course, this vertical relationship is important. But when we are filled, when we are filled with this heart, soul, and mind kind of love for God, it will naturally flow out into this horizontal love for our neighbors. They're both important, and they both are the greatest commandment, and they both are central to what it means to follow Jesus. Love of God always becomes love of people who bear his image, and you have never, ever looked eyeball to eyeball with anyone who was not made in his image. Isn't this amazing? When God became a human, he commanded us to love God and humans. That was his message. When God became a human, he commanded us to love God and humans. Jesus threw the Sadducees paradigm and the Pharisees paradigm all out of whack. Jesus said, we are to not just love God, we are to love 
neighbor. Jesus said it's not an either or. It is always a both and that we are to love God and humans. And on the cross, Jesus exemplified this dichotomy that's not a dichotomy. He exemplified this vertical righteousness, holiness, justice of God, and the grace and mercy and forgiveness and love of God spread out over all humanity. Jesus said, you think you can't do both, but I came to show you that both is the way of Jesus. We do both. We love neighbor radically. This is so radical, Jesus says. This is so radical that when we love our neighbors this way, it is indistinguishable from the way we love ourselves. Now, can we just all be honest? It's easy to love ourselves. It's easy to love ourselves. It's easy to love people like ourselves. Easy for me. I love myself. If I didn't like myself, I'd be somebody else. Right? I like cheering for my team. I like wearing the clothes I wear and driving the car I drive. It's easy to love people like me, but the challenge of this command is that more than ever in our world, radically loving our neighbors might mean loving someone who is drastically different than us. It might mean loving someone who thinks differently. It might mean loving someone who looks differently, who votes differently, who likes different music and different teams and different clothes and they drive different cars and they see the world differently than we do and they watch a different news channel than we watch and they process things more differently than us. They have a different culture than us, but more than ever, more than ever, the world needs to see from followers of Jesus a group of people committed to loving their neighbors who are not like them, like themselves. And I want to just tell you something. This is, this is so important to say right here in the middle of this. You don't have to agree with someone to love them. You're just like, oh, but you just don't know what my neighbors are doing. You just don't know what my nephew's doing. You just don't know what this coworker's doing, and they're just so ungodly, and they're just so this, and they're just so that, and they're just pushing this agenda. That's fine. You don't have to agree with them to love them. We have bought this lie that says if I get too close, if I show them too much love, if I show them too much grace, if I show them too much mercy, then that must mean I affirm all their behavior. If that was true, it would be impossible to parent. <laughs> right? Parenting is basically loving someone with whom you disagree with for 18 years. Come on, parents, right? That's what parenting is. You disagree with them for 18 years and somehow figure out a way to love them through it. That's what it means to love your neighbors yourself and you don't have to agree with someone to love them. You don't have to agree with their lifestyle choices. You don't have to agree with what they do on Friday night. You don't have to agree with their politics. You don't have to agree with what they, the way they see the world. You don't have to agree with their news channel, but you have to love them. Jesus didn't agree with you and he died for you. He didn't agree with my sin, and he died for me. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. So what are some of the things you do for yourself? I do yard work, cook, clean, 
shuttle kids, paint when I have to, shop, run errands. What if you did those for your neighbor? Let me go a little deeper. You know some other things I always do for myself? I always give myself the benefit of the doubt. And I never judge myself on my worst moments. I always judge myself on my intentions and not my worst moments. And I always give myself another chance. Well, what if you, what if you gave your neighbor the benefit of the doubt? And what if that little cashier that can't get your order right, what if you wouldn't judge them on their worst moment? And that friend who let you down, what if you gave them another chance? Because you'd give you another chance. And then Jesus says something. He closes it out. And he hits both of them right in the middle. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You two guys, you guys, you guys want to fight over what is best, but the entire law and all the prophets hinge on these two commands to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You guys want to pick a verse and build a theology on it. That's called proof texting. And Jesus says, you don't need to do that because the whole book rests on this concept. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the entire law, all the, all the former prophets, Joshua, all the judges, Samuel, all the kings, all the major prophets called the latter prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all the minor prophets, Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah and Nahum and Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. They all, the whole book, you can sum up in two lines, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Stop picking verses and just do those two things, Jesus says. Oh, but Jesus, don't you know where it says it's written? No, 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 no. Just love God and love people. And the world continues even in the church to try to pull us in these vertical and horizontal directions and telling us one way is the way. One side says it's all about God. It's all about worship and praise of God. It's all about God being glorified and that is all that matters. And the message of evangelism in the church for much of the last 200 years has been to convince people of this vertical relationship. You just need to get saved and get right with God. And that there are some churches that are really good at this. They call people to conviction, they preach the way of salvation and they try to help people take steps with God. But often they do very little to help the community. And they don't teach better behavior out in the world, at the ball field, on social media. They don't teach their people how to love others and they don't exhibit it. There's no concern for the poor, no work for social justice. They're so good at truth and so bad at everyday grace. And then there are other, another side, 
And it says humanity and self-realization are all that matter. And there's some churches that are really good at that. Oh, and they do such incredible work. They're great at loving the community. They're great at hosting soup kitchens and community centers and homeless shelters. They serve their community and they work for justice, but there's no concern for personal holiness and the people lack a passion for truly holy, set-apart living. They are so good at offering everyday grace, but they're so bad at biblical, holy truth. And Jesus says, could we be characterized as a people who do both? Who when it comes to God and when it comes to our neighbors, we love radically. When people would look at us, they would say that person is so in love with God, they radically love God, they have a passion for God, you can see it in their lives, you can see it in their integrity, you can see it in their just everyday walk, that person is so in love with God, and that person loves people. I've never seen anyone that loves people as much as they do. They don't let their relationship with God, in fact, their relationship with God inspires them to love people. They love people that that nobody else loves. And I'm convinced that this is the most important part of evangelism in the 21st century. Our world is hungry for love, but we cannot reach a world that we don't love and the world won't listen to a message that is not rooted in love. They will not listen. But I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced of this, friends. People will love the God we love if we love people with the love of God. People will love the God we love. They will fall in love with him if we love people with the love of God. It will not matter if we preach the radical, the radical love God has for our neighbors if our neighbors don't experience that radical love in and through us. It will not matter how good our programs are. It will not matter how good our ministries are. It will not matter how great our kids' ministry is. It will not matter how great our student ministry is. It will not matter how great the music is. And man, did the team kill it this morning. But none of that will matter. It will not matter how theologically correct our teaching is if we don't have love, 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 you want two things, love God, Jesus said, and love people. There's a sign when you leave the church. Do you pay attention to it? If you're driving down the hill, when you leave? If you had not been here in a while, we'd love to have you. We got a new, some new signs, and when you leave, this is the sign. Of all the marks of a follower and the messages we could have put there, this is the one we chose. It says love radically. You go back into your neighborhoods, you go back to the office on Monday morning, you go back to your school, you go back with your teams. The reason we put that is when we leave this campus, it is where the love rubber hits the road. It is what counts. It is what matters. This is what it means to be for Birmingham to love our neighbors as ourselves, that we do things for them that we do for us, and we can get everything else right, guys. Our staff, our staff can do everything else right, but if you and I don't love our neighbors with the love of God, 
Nothing else matters. But we can get a lot of other stuff wrong. <laughs> but if you and I will love our coworkers, love our neighbors, love our parents on our kids' ball teams, love our classmates, love our boss, love our employees, love that cashier, love the people standing in line at Publix with us. If you and I will love people with the love of God, oh man, you can't stop it. People will love the God that we say we love if we love people with the love of God. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh, man, Carter, but you just don't understand. You just don't understand. My neighbors, oh, if you knew my neighbors, if you knew what they did, and if you knew how they believed, and if you knew how they thought, no, 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 no. I know you just want to go here. You got to go here. Or some people just go, well, I, I love people, but sometimes I have a hard time with the teaching of the Scripture, and I have a hard time. No, 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 I know, I know. I know you want to love people, but you got to love God too. There's always going to be this tension that's going to tell you that should you go that far with God, should you go that far in obedience, should you go that far in trust, and should you go that far with grace and mercy to your neighbors. And if you want to know where to find Jesus in the middle of those tensions of horizontal and vertical, it was real easy. They hung him right in the middle of it. They hung him right in the middle of it. So today, here's an easy way to do it. Buy a t-shirt that just says love, period. Because you want to love the Lord God and his mission in the world. And it's an easy way to love a little child in Liberia or in the Philippines whom you will never meet with the love of God. But I want to challenge you to something. When you go buy a t-shirt for yourself, why don't you buy one for your neighbor? Because you bought yourself one. And Jesus said to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's a start to what it looks like to live into the greatest commandment. Heavenly Father, Thank you for loving us, even though you didn't agree with us. <laughs> Lord, we love you. We're here to worship you, to glorify you, to honor you. My prayer, my heart, Lord, is that because of that love, that we would see others the way you see them. That we would see others with the love of God. And in our everyday lives, people would fall in love with the God we love because they have experienced the love of God through us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.